Well, hello there, ladies and gents. Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com. And today, I have special guest Sarah Kleiner on the line, a.k.a. the Carnivore Yogi. And we talk deep about carnivore, obviously. We talk about yoga. She has an autistic child, autistic daughter. And we talk deep about that, like how that's affected her psychologically speaking, how that's been just like from a perspective standpoint. We dove deep, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation on that. We also talked about just some of the some of the trends that you see right now in the keto space, and not just the keto space, but the whole dieting community as a whole. We talk about energy balance. We talk about flexible uh, flexible dieting. We talk about um, high fat, high protein. We talk about all kinds of things. We are speaking the same language. Like We just kept agreeing on everything to the T, and it was just awesome and refreshing to hear her just say the same message that I've been saying. And then we talked for quite some time after we got done recording. But super, super good conversation. I've got a lot of respect for Sarah. She's she's come so freaking far in her journey through health, and she's got a great message. So I'm excited for y'all to tune in and hear what she has to say. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy this awesome conversation with Sarah. live Sarah how are you I'm great how are you doing I'm doing wonderfully well myself I was actually just on your podcast last was it last week or did that go live this week it went live on Monday which seems like a week ago because yeah. Monday was Labor day it does seem like a long time ago yeah that, yeah that was a great conversation so I, I just wanted to kind of dive deeper into your story because you got all kinds of things going on um you're known as the carnivore yogi on on uh on YouTube and Instagram and yeah. I had to reschedule that podcast with you and I thought it was pretty funny because you said you wouldn't be living up to your name if you weren't flexible, which I thought that was pretty exactly. witty. Pretty witty. <laughs> um, so just kind of give the listeners some background on on you, kind of what got you into the carnivore space because you, you didn't start out in the carnivore meat-based protocol at all, right? I think you've dabbled in vegetarian, is that correct? Yeah, you know, in 2012, I was vegan for a couple of years. Uh, mm -hmm. It coincided with, I've been teaching yoga for almost a decade. And so I, I kind of thought it was a requirement that if you wanted to teach yoga and be in the yoga space, that veganism was something you had to do. Um, so I did do that for a couple of years and eventually my health completely deteriorated. I had cavities for the first time in my life. I had athletic injuries that would not heal no matter what I did, no matter how much I rested or body work that I got done. Um, I was underweight, under muscled. I mean, it was just the classic, um, under protein. It's just the classic story of somebody who goes vegan to improve their health and experiences the absolute opposite, not necessary. And if you continue on this way, you're not going to be able to teach yoga. You're not going to be able to be of service to anyone. So I felt a great deal of relief to actually have someone within the yoga community give me permission to start eating animal products again. In hindsight, in hindsight now, is there like some massive, you know, things you were doing wrong as it relates to optimizing for a vegan or is it just vegan in general? Well, I found out that I have the MTHFR mutation. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I don't really do well without animal foods. I was doing all the supplements. I mean, I had a purse full of supplements that I kind of carried around with me at all times. I soaked all my grains. I soaked all my nuts. I mean, the amount of time I was spending on food prep and just trying to continue to find the optimal diet within the vegan space, it was just utterly exhausting. So 
um, whatever supplements I was taking, I definitely was not absorbing them. And I think that's partially because I do have that MTHFR mutation. Um, so the diet just was just not working for me at all. I tried to do what I could to make it work, but it just was not working. Is there like as a, as a yoga instructor, is there just like a ton of, you know, pressure from the community and like the, the movers and shakers in that space to go vegan? Kind of like, you know, how some sports and industries like have this, you know, unspoken rule, so to speak, if you need, you need to follow this type of dieting protocol in order to fit in, kind of like CrossFit's got its weird clicks with nutrition. I'm assuming it's the same with, with like a uh, yoga. Yeah, it's, you know, it's crazy. I did a whole episode with that, uh, with Tristan of Primal Edge Health, where we really dive deep into this of, of where does this whole idea of veganism and yoga come from, you know, and it's, it really dates back to the caste system in India. Um, mm. And and what I didn't realize and what I think most people don't realize, because veganism, vegetarianism is almost like part of the deal if you're going to be into yoga. I mean, it just really is. Most of the teachers that I know are either, either vegan or vegetarian. But if you really study the history of it, uh, vegetarianism was introduced in India as a way to control the people so they would not be strong enough to fight uh, fight back essentially <laughs> to fight in the war. If you were a part of the warrior caste, then you were allowed to eat meat. But if you were part of, if you were a common person, you were not allowed to eat meat. It was just part of the deal. And so this kind of has been handed down and handed down. And now we have Western yoga, which is just, ugh, you know, there's, there's just a lot of crazy stuff in there that that really has no actual validity to it. So yeah, it's, it's very common. And the other thing that I've talked about before is that, that there's this kind of plague of, of kind of like infertility and um, depression and anxiety and all kinds of health problems that I see a lot of my yoga instructor friends all suffer from. And they're all vegetarian or vegan and they, they won't hear anything different. It's just, it's so crazy. I mean, I, I've never had a plant-based diet. Like I, I've gone through phases where I've eaten more vegetation, but I've never once you know, in these periods when I'm eating more vegetation, feel any inherent benefit from the vegetation. Like I like it because it's like a change of, you know, texture and just a change of flavor. But it's never been like a, oh, wow, that, that bit of kale really, really helped my joints or performance, you know. I mean, with, with meat, I can I can eat meat and I can feel this inherent benefit that it provides. Like I feel, I feel energy. I feel more powerful. I feel like my joints are soaking that up and I feel like my recovery is better. Whereas with plants, you just, I, I personally have never felt that inherent, you know, benefit that comes with it. So I'm, I'm curious as to why, I think it's more probably of a cultural shift and just, you know, belief system that, that brings people that way more so than like them feeling any inherent positive change. Now, if you're going from a standard American diet and you're eating a bunch of, you know, heavily processed carbohydrates and just utter crap, then you're probably going to feel better with a whole foods based vegetarian style diet but after a while i mean it's your body needs meat yeah and that, i mean that's just basically where i got to it was like i just did not feel good at all and as soon as i started eating animal products again and i didn't even eat red meat for a little while i started off with eggs and then i worked my way into chicken and it was like right away i started feeling better it was it was really remarkable yeah it's and I imagine, I mean, from just like your practice in yoga, like how has that, have that, has that made like a profound impact on your like overall flexibility and recovery? Well, my strength, absolutely. And recovery, absolutely. I mean, there were certain poses that I, 
didn't have the strength to do no matter how much I practiced. And I look back at old videos of myself and my arms were so skinny. I mean, there was no muscle on my arms and I'm trying to do these kind of more athletic push-up style um, handstands and things like that. And my arms just, you know, I would practice and practice and it would just hurt. And I literally could not get the strength. But when I started adding those animal products in, I was able to do a lot more of those athletic you know, like the chaturanga push-ups and the arm balances and just the things that you actually need to have muscle in order to do. So, um, like I said, I just, I was just really struggling without animal foods. Yeah, definitely. I want to kind of dive into yoga as a, as a, you know, an event, as a practice, as a, as a perfection, because that is something that I know very little about. And, you know, most, most like, bro bodybuilder types probably hear yoga and they just kind of scoff at it but I've done it I've done like two yoga sessions and both of them left me feeling pretty pretty exhausted so just kind of like enlighten me and the listeners about what yoga is for you and just kind of what all is involved with it so I have always really had a <laughs> like a disdain for yoga people and it's that's why I think it's so ironic and funny that I've been teaching now for over a decade but when my daughter was diagnosed with autism, it was like somebody pulled the rug out from under me. It was very devastating. Um, I was not expecting it. My whole life changed. And she just was a baby that screamed and cried a lot, was very colicky. And so at that point, I was desperate to find something that could help me calm down. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to try this yoga thing out because I hear that it helps people calm down. And I've tried everything to calm down and I can't. Mm -hmm. um, I was just so devastated. And like I said, she would scream for much of the day and a lot of the night. So I took my first yoga class and it, it was the first time that I felt like I had really been able to relax in years. I mean, it just, it was absolutely amazing. And so I just started going pretty much every single day. And that was really how I survived the first you know, probably a couple of years of grieving because this child I thought I was going to have, I, I didn't have, um, this life change and the stress of, you know, adjusting to being a special needs parent when that's not ever something I thought I was going to have to do. So for me, it wasn't so much about like being this strong, um, having this amazing physical practice. It was more what it was doing for me mentally. And that's what I became really passionate about. And that's why I became a teacher is that I was like, you know, if I could help other people feel this way and find this kind of relaxation and peace, then that I'll feel like I have done something for this world, you know? I like it. I like it. I mean, yoga at its core is kind of like meditation in movement, right? Like, is that a good way to describe it? Definitely. Yeah. And I'm more so now... 10 years down the road and I'm really into meditation and I'm starting a course in January. That's 15 months long to become a meditation teacher. I'm kind of moving more in that direction. But I mean, for many years, yoga, I would say just pretty much saved me from having a nervous breakdown. It was, it was that powerful for me. Yeah. I mean, anytime you can like have the, the self-awareness and like mental consciousness to be able to separate yourself from the chaos of the world and just, you know, focus on, on your breath, focus on your movement, have control over your body and your limbs like you would have to with yoga. I feel like that's a very calming but also very liberating thing. Um, so so talk about like the, like there's different, I guess, tiers or levels or complexities 
within the the is it a sport like how do you define yoga is it a sport or like an activity what is that exactly I mean, I call it more of a practice, but practice, there's definitely, there's, I mean, you look at India, there's so many different dialects and, and different, you know, religions within India. Yoga is the same. I mean, I started off doing uh, Bikram hot yoga, which is 105 degrees and 90 minutes and super. Um, and then I moved more into a traditional like Hatha style yoga. Um, I've done all different types. I've done vinyasa. I did ashtanga for a year where I was getting up at 5 a.m. every morning and it was like very athletic, um, power-based yoga. So there, I mean, there's just so many different styles of yoga. So if someone tells me like, oh, I hate yoga, I'm like, well, just try a different, try a different style. You know, <laughs> there's so many different styles you can try. I've been trying to convince my wife, Crystal, that we need to do acro yoga or at least try it. Have you ever done that? Oh yeah, that's fun. That's so much fun. But you have to have us. See, I think you guys would be great because you're both so strong. Yeah. <laughs> you want to have a really strong partner so they can hold you up and they don't drop you. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. That to me, like seeing the people that actually know what they're doing with that, that's just incredibly impressive. Like I don't have any clue how they can not only control their own body that that well, but like be flipping their partner like in the air with their feet at the same same time. Like, that just blows my mind. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating to watch. I have some friends that there are a couple here in Atlanta where I live and they perform and um, they teach acro classes to couples. It's like a whole it's it's really like a sport. I mean, that is something I would consider a sport. Yeah. Um, yeah. The type of yoga I really do now more so is and the type that I teach, especially since the pandemic, is just very gentle. Empathetic nervous system works in relation to breath and movement. Um, so the average age of my student right now is about 60 mm -hmm. <laughs> That's and, and that's kind of just more how I've been practicing over the last, you know, six, seven months here since the pandemic struck. Cause I think that people are so stressed out right now that it's more important to get them more into the relaxed, uh, recover zone than anything else. Totally. So if anybody's listening right now and wants to just kind of like dip their toe in and dabble with it, what would be like a good practice or, or exercise that they can do? like without any prior knowledge or equipment, just like hit the ground running with like today. Yeah. So I actually have, I'll give you the link. I have a yoga YouTube channel, which is like not monetized. It's only got a few hundred subscribers, but I upload all of my classes up to that channel and it's very beginner friendly. It's very gentle. You can, you've never done yoga before. It's perfect. Um, and underneath each one of those videos, there's a link where people can practice live with me. I teach every Wednesday and Saturday at noon, and it's just a total beginner friendly recovery style yoga. Um, so that's a, that's a good resource for everyone. Gotcha. I'll definitely link out and I'll check that out because I'm, I, I just kind of want to, I want to focus on mindfulness. I feel like, especially right now with COVID, everybody been locked up, but there's like this weird surge of just like stupid content. Like people are putting stuff out there that just it's depressing Like there's not near as much positivity. So I feel like being able to distract myself from that and just zero in on the things that I care about, the things that I want to approve on in the context of having like this just self-awareness and consciousness brought on by meditation slash yoga would be advantageous for me, but probably advantageous for many. Absolutely. And, you know, that's why I've gotten more and more motivated to teach meditation because I think people look at yoga and they get really turned off by it. You know, they've, you've, it's like you have to have the right clothes and the mat and like all the accessories and meditation is just like, you just bring your body. You don't need any apps or anything special. And it helps you to cultivate, 
um, that present moment awareness and to build um, adaptation energy, which is just a, a fascinating concept. Mm-hmm. Um, your body and your nervous system's ability to deal with change. Um, that's the, for me, the biggest benefit of yoga and of meditation is just the way that it actually rewires your brain is so absolutely fascinating um, what it can actually do to your brain so that when you do have this stressful event or a big change that you're not expecting that you don't totally lose your mind. You might still, you're still going to have a reaction because you're human, but you don't completely lose your mind and move into that primal part of your brain where you're in fight flight and say and do things that you regret, which is like the thing that everyone's doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you on that. I, I'm, I put a lot of emphasis in mindset and just like, like stoic thinking and philosophy. I, I do a lot of reading in that genre and I feel like that goes hand in hand with the, the practice and just the, the skills that, meditation and mindfulness would instill you know absolutely absolutely and and the the science behind it is so cool i mean if you there's a harvard study that was done in 2012 i talk about quite a bit so just nine minutes every single day and they showed at the end of the nine weeks that those people had actually shrunk their amygdala which is your the fight flight center of the brain it actually physically had shrunk Mm -hmm. and you could see a thickening of the cortex so there was more matter in the cortex that it had thickened so those people had essentially shrunk their fight flight response and gained more access to the executive functioning of their brain which is like that's super cool <laughs> you wow, know yeah, that's awesome yeah that's just amazing. over eight weeks so imagine what would happen if you meditated you know or did a mindfulness practice every single day for for years yeah 100 percent. i was talking to in on Monday's podcast and he was talking to me all about breathing techniques and just, you know, standalone nasal breathing. And I've been trying to implement that a lot this week and I've noticed a profound, you know, improvement in my overall endurance and just ability to be present. And I feel like it's, it's weird because it's so subconscious. I mean, I've had to consciously practice my breathing, but just in, in the subconscious, if you're not having some form of regulated natural breathing, you're, you're, easily going to become much more irritable, much more on edge, and it's just not near as conducive to being as productive as possible. Yeah, it's really fascinating to see how that nasal breathing and how tight it is to your um, parasympathetic nervous system. And it's like as soon as you switch it so that you're breathing in and out of your mouth, you've kind of flipped that switch. So you're more into that sympathetic nervous system. Your body is moving into that fight flight state, which is like I, I really feel like people are stuck in fight flight right now with the pandemic, with everything going on. So any anything you can do like nasal breathing or taking little mindfulness minutes, any of that stuff I think is going to help you with overall recovery, health and happiness. It's all tied together. Totally, totally. You'd mentioned um, like how there's all these, you know, this outfit, the mats, the apps, all that stuff. Do you feel like that distracts or are some of those apps like actually advantageous to have like I'm all about tracking data but I feel like I I try and remove myself from that philosophy when it comes to like a mindfulness practice I know they've got apps for meditation they've got that muse thing which like fits around your head and tells you how much time is spent in meditation I'm not really sure what it does exactly but do you feel like that distracts from like the purity of what you're trying to accomplish or no 
I don't really like any of that stuff, to be honest with you. I feel like, you know, the way that I meditate, the way that I want to teach people how to meditate is to do it without any apps, to just completely um, be able to do it anytime, anywhere. And so I feel like those things are really, perhaps they can be helpful to some people. I don't want to totally write them off, but I don't utilize any of those things. And I think that it's just extra money people are spending and it's a waste. I think that, um, you know, if you're going to meditate to, to find a way. And the technique that I do is called uh, Vedic meditation. So I have a, a mantra that my teacher gave me and I will never speak it out loud. It doesn't mean anything. It's not religious, but essentially when I meditate, I sit quietly, eyes closed. And in my brain, I say this mantra and it's kind of like, um, a nature sound that's exact it's, it's called a bija mantra so it's a nature sound and it essentially does for my brain and my body like what listening to a nature sound cd would do that's mm. the way i explain it so you know what are those nature sound cds always say on the cover don't listen to this while you're driving or operating equipment um so what that mantra does is it kind of you're not turning off your thoughts you're not turning off your brain but it just kind of gives you something. So it settles you down and you move into this amazing meditative state. So that's the way I love to meditate. I don't like to use the apps and I don't like to buy a bunch of accessories. Um, I think it's just a big distraction. Yeah, no, I, I totally do appreciate that. It's not an app that I use for meditation, but I did get this, um, speaking of nature sounds, it's like an alarm clock. Because I hated just being jolted awake by this blaring alarm clock. Like, it, I would just wake up pissed off. I just hated it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this thing, I've been using it for like a couple months now. But it, it um, I'll set my alarm and it gets, it slowly gets lighter and lighter to kind of represent like the rising sun. And then you can set it so that it plays, you know, birds chirping or something like that. But the, the brightness getting more and more intense is what actually wakes me up. And then I'm just awakened in this serene forest sound. And that is just so much better, a better way to start the day than what a typical alarm clock would do to you. Oh, I love that. And, you know, the thing that I was taught when I learned how to meditate was that we never use an alarm to stop ourselves from meditating. Mm -hmm. um, I have a little clock where I can just open my eyes and look and see what time it is because it actually is our negative a deep dive it's like you get the bends you need to, you you have to do that with your nervous system also so i don't set any alarms to come out of meditation mm -hmm. um so i can imagine like you've been sleeping that's that's a very meditative state that a restful state restorative state so i can imagine that's a lot better of a way to wake up yeah it's i've really been enjoying it for sure it's also got a setting where you can like simulate a sunset where it gets darker and darker in the evening and then it has like waves or whatever sound you want to you know be associated with the sunset but it's nice because whenever that's turned on it just like kicks your body's routine into overdrive and it makes it much more efficient in falling asleep and waking up uh you know so it's just it's just much better much more natural and i feel like the more we can gravitate to what's natural the better absolutely i mean i've it's crazy i don't even use an alarm to wake up anymore my body just naturally wakes up pretty much the same time every day, which is, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what you want. So yes. you had mentioned that your, your daughter is autistic and you, you know, obviously raising her is, with special needs. You want to dive into that? Cause I feel like, like, I don't know anybody that, that has a special needs children, but I have utmost respect for those that do and just all the work that, that comes with that. Cause a lot of, a lot of your nutritional protocol, it was, was spurred on by her nutritional needs as well. Right. Yes. I mean, she's the one who really sent me on the journey to figure out 
what's going to be optimal for her and ultimately for myself as well, because I have to be here to take care of her. Um, yeah. And like I said, it was, it was a shock. It was not something I expected to ever have in my life and has fundamentally shaken me and changed me as a person. Um, but yeah, she, you know, when she was diagnosed, I immediately dove into Google. I got my, my Google degree yeah. <laughs> and we immediately changed her diet even before she got a formal diagnosis and took her off of, um, dairy and gluten. We did the classic gluten-free dairy-free diet. We've done specific carbohydrate. We've done, we pretty much did paleo for years and years, um, and I would, you know, anytime that she would get anything with like a food dye in it, if we would let her have foods that, you know, were not in protocol, if she would get some dairy or get something with wheat or gluten or a lot of sugar, her behaviors would be horrible for like days. I mean, it, it's, it's not just like a little thing. I mean, it is days of behavior. And, uh, you know, I'm carnivore pretty much. Uh, I'll dabble a little bit in keto, but I'm mostly carnivore. My daughter's keto. Mm -hmm. My husband is pretty much paleo, um, but he eats junk like behind my back, yeah. <laughs> not in the house. <laughs> he's, you know, he's like six foot four. He runs like he's always been in amazing shape. He's never had food issues. Like he's just he's he and I are opposite um, in that regard. But over the weekend, she, I, I didn't understand what was going on. She was crying hysterically. She's 12 and a half. She was hitting her head into the wall. And I was like, what is going on with this kid? And he confessed to me on Saturday night after she went to bed that he was eating a banana with almond butter and honey when mm. I was at the gym, because I went to the gym Saturday. And he let her have that. And she was crying and hysterical all afternoon. He let her have two bites. And I was like, and he was like, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't ever have let her have that. I didn't think it was going to bother her that much. And I'm like, oh my gosh. What is and the, I, the mechanism? They're like, what causes that type of reaction just from such a, a trivial amount of that food? Honestly, I think it's a blood sugar um, mm. issue. I think that's part of it because it probably spiked her blood sugar up super high because she's been keto since March, like really strict keto. Mm -hmm. And I think that it spiked her blood sugar up really high and then just dipped it down really low. And she probably felt really bad. Um, one, and then she just with sugar, any kind of sugar, obviously now fruit and honey is an issue too, but sugar has always made her super, super hyper. I mean, she's just super sensitive. Um, Cause yeah, I was like, what is wrong with her? And he's like, oh, well I let her have a bite of my snack. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't do that again. Please don't do that. So what are some, how old was she when, when she was diagnosed? She was officially diagnosed at 15 months. She had a major regression at 13 months. Um, she developed completely. Typically I have videos of her playing with my 110 pound Rottweiler interacting, talking, and then had a major regression. Um, we were in the, the emergency room. Um, we didn't think anything of it at the time. They were just like, oh, well, this is just a reaction that she's having to this flu vaccine, but she'll be fine. This happens all the time. She has a double ear infection. Here's some antibiotics. And she didn't ever talk again after that. 
and she lost all of her eye contact and it was like somebody just basically stole my child from me um wow. yeah and i'm not one of these anti-vax people i you know i don't go out and march and all that stuff but that's what happened to us and i have like the proof of it um i have the hospital records and everything and i have the videos of before and after um so that you know that's when i kind of almost had a nervous breakdown because i just felt like wow i royally screwed up by letting her get this you know if it was the vaccine i i mean i just felt like i had failed her mm -hmm. completely it was absolutely devastating you know what uh like for you i mean she she was not born like that she she seemed no. to be like a total normal person and then all this happened and it was like 180 degree shift overnight like that had i mean i, I don't want to i don't know how deep you want to dive into this but I, i'm curious as to how that affected you no you cut out again i don't I'm, know if you can hear me or not yeah can you hear me hello yep i'm here it cut out Sorry about that. Um, I, I'm just curious to, to how that, I don't know how deep you want to dive into it, but I'm curious as to how that 180 degree shift like affected you psychologically. Like what did, how did you prepare yourself to just, you know, wake up the next day and tackle it and stay positive? Like what was that like? Um, it was not, I didn't handle it so well, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, I started drinking um, a lot more than I had. Um, I had to quit my job because all of a sudden, I didn't feel like I could leave her with a babysitter and she needed all these therapies. And so I left my job. I was like full-time sales, you know, stilettos, heels, business suits, the whole nine. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I was like a stay at home mom. And um, then I had this child and we were taking her to all these therapies and spending all this money and nothing was working. And she was just crying and inconsolable all the time. So, you know, I, I'm not proud of it, but I started drinking a lot and taking a lot of pills for anxiety. And ultimately that's when I found yoga and also had to get sober and, mm -hmm. and stop all the drinking, all the pills, everything, and get real honest about that. So I've, I'm not proud of that, but, um, you know, it made me get completely sober and helped me find yoga because yeah, it was really devastating. Yeah, I, I can I can only imagine what um, what has having her like taught you now, like with your perspective now, I feel like having having a child that's autistic and, and seeing them happy, like you posted some pictures on Instagram a while back of, of her just like playing in this waterfall with a massive smile on her face. And I feel like it's like you, you see that and you it, it just rewrites what you put an importance on in life a hundred percent i mean i appreciate so much in life um, because of her and who i am is just so much of because of her i i'm so grateful and appreciative and the cool thing is we didn't know that she was brilliant um and we discovered this therapy called letterboarding therapy where she can spell to communicate Mm -hmm. And we discovered letterboarding about three years ago. And um, I know you've probably seen some of her videos where she's spelling to tell us things, but um, she's absolutely brilliant. She's a math genius. She's doing calculus at age 12. Um, we've found someone who does math with her on the letterboards. And I just keep learning more and more about her, but also just about life that things are not what they appear to be a lot of the time. And 
sometimes when you think something is like the worst thing in the world that's ever happened to you, it actually could end up being one of the best things that's ever happened to you. Yeah, I, I, I believe it. When, when you see just all the chaos that's happening in the world right now and you see how petty some of this stuff is that people are letting themselves get all up in arms about and then you come home, you see her and she's just, you know, happy and cheerful. I mean, like that's got to have a crazy impact on you as well. It does. You know, my husband and I always were like, it doesn't really matter how crazy life is. If she's happy, then we can't help but be happy because the joy of this child, I mean, she's just, she's so expressive. So, I mean, it goes the other way too. If she's really upset, it's devastating for everybody. Um, (laughs) But when she's happy, it's hard for you to, to be um, unhappy and her joy is like absolutely infectious. I mean, you can see pictures of her. She's beautiful. She looks just like a typical 12 year old girl, but if you're around her for like five seconds, you can obviously tell she's autistic. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's very clear, but it's like when we were out there at the waterfall, I was taking all those pictures. There were other kids and other families there. And, um, they just kind of picked up on her joy and it was just, it's cool to see other people, how they react to her as well. Cause you can tell she's autistic, Mm -hmm. but then you can see like the joy in her eyes and her happiness and her laugh is so infectious um, that it's, it's, it's cool. I mean, I never would have experienced this if I hadn't had her. Do you find like a lot of people, like if y'all are like with other, other parents, the kids, like they don't, they don't know how to be and it's like this weird awkward thing and this it's like break the ice almost yes i mean we get people that will stare at us a lot too i mean i've had people give me nasty stares and nasty looks and i've had to say um she's autistic you know <laughs> like she's not misbehaving mm. um and then other kids you know alexis really wants to play with other kids but that's part of you know a lot of kids with autism they don't have that social thing down so a lot of kids they will ask me like, you know, what's wrong with her? And, um, and I'm like, she wants to be your friend. She wants to play with you, but she just doesn't really know how. So if you just talk to her, like any other kid, she'll, she'll be cool. Like she'll, you know, she'll have fun. And so I see a lot of kids that really do want to interact with her and that they do try. And it's, it's interesting, you know, cause she's just, she's very different from most kids that you're ever going to meet. Yeah. That's so cool, though. I feel like just the perspective gained, you know, from having to, to, to care for her and just, you know, watch and see how she interacts with others and just, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's there's a lot of, a lot of good that comes from them. There is, and she really touches people deeply. I mean, they're her therapists and her teachers. There have been so many like conversations where we've all been crying just because we're so happy about something that she's said or that she's done, like she touches people on like this, this super deep level. Um, so that's kind of like you get your heart <laughs> kind of ripped wide open all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's cool. Um, some days it's a lot to take on. It's a lot to handle, but, um, you know, you, you get your heart opened up for sure. And what, what was that communication technique? Letter, letter boarding? Yeah, it's called letterboarding. There is a woman in Texas. Her name is Soma, S-O-M-A, and she kind of created this technique. It's because of her son, and her son is in his mid-20s now, but they're, the kids that kind of fit Alexis's autism profile, there's so many different types of autism. A lot of them are just trapped inside of their bodies, mm-hmm. and they're brilliant, um, and 
So Alexis, the first time we introduced her to the boards, she told us all kinds of profound things, but we didn't know she knew how to spell. We didn't know she knew how to read, um, but she's been gaining stuff her whole life. I mean, she's been picking up information her whole life. And um, the stuff that she says, sometimes I have to like Google it to understand. <laughs> like, I'm like, what did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> so she's like able to like her, have a total communication like have like a full-on conversation with you with this letterboard technique oh yeah she writes poetry she writes stories i mean she has her own youtube channel where um she kind of explains how she sees the world and feels about the world and we do it all on the boards it's that's it's fascinating. crazy yeah. so that that only happened three years ago right so prior to that yeah. you didn't really know how to communicate and then you're just constantly guessing and then bam you're able to like it's like you can see in color again yeah, I mean, she, she, the stuff that she says blows me away and the stuff that she knows, I mean, her speech therapist, they were making these necklaces together and she was like, what color thread should I get for next week? Um, and Alexa spells vermilion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't tell what that color what? is. <laughs> Where did you even hear that? You know, like she, <laughs> the things I'm like, how did you know that? Um, yeah. And we just had her evaluated for math and she, there's number boards also. So it's like a, it's a, it's a laminate board and eventually she's going to be able to type, mm -hmm. but it's a motor action and speech is a motor action. So the, the part of her brain that performs motor function is there's, there's something that has malfunctioned or it's not connecting. And so now we're moving slowly to a keyboard so she can be more independent, but, um, yeah, so that's the goal eventually. But for now, she's letter by letter, you know, kind of telling his stuff. And then we found a we have there's a number board, and we found a math teacher that works with these kids. And the cool thing about the math, um, every time we do math, she can actually verbalize clearly. Like she started to say verbalize things, and she told us on the letter boards that math opens up a different part of her brain and a different part of her motor functioning so that she's, she's able to actually use more of her motor functions after she does math. That's, that's so, it's so cool. I, I went into like this rabbit hole of, you know, just research a couple of weeks ago and I was, I was looking into Stephen Hawking. Do you know much about him? Oh yeah. So I was just blown away about, you know, how far science and, and technology has come where he can like have a full blown conversation through this computer, which he operated by his hands. Then when he lost control of his hands, he, he operated the entire computer and was able to have full blown conversations just simply by twitching a, a cheek muscle. And then that yes. basically formed whatever sentences he wanted to and, and then was able to you know illustrate. And that to me, I mean, like such a brilliant individual totally incapable of normal day-to-day -day movement and function, you know, but like rewriting how people think intellectually based off of, you know, how he can communicate via cheek muscle movements. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I'm hopeful that as more and more technology comes out, that there'll be something eventually that, you know, can help her so that communication's not such a struggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know she had yeah. her own YouTube channel. I have to check that out. I'll subscribe. Oh yeah, I'll send it to you. <laughs> Very yes. Cool. So yeah. so that's that makes a lot of sense though. She she you got into yoga to yes. to find relaxation and, and peace, and then yeah. she kind of pushed you towards the dietary changes. Uh, but now you've noticed some profound dietary improvements. Not just the the shift from vegan, but like your metabolism, your hormones, all of that's improved since going pretty much carnivore, right? Yeah, you know, I just put a video out on my YouTube channel this morning. I had, you know, I'm 41 now, 
And by the time I hit 35, my hormones were just completely tanked. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I started intermittent fasting before it was even a thing. It was just like what I did. <laughs> I just would only, you know, I'd go all day and I wouldn't eat because I was always going, going, going with her. So I did that for years. I did paleo for years um, and just a little bit of meat. I still tried to do the smoothies and the seeds and the nuts and all that stuff. And uh, so I was pretty tanked out by the time I got to carnivore. A functional medicine doctor friend of mine was like, just try it because what have you got to lose at this point? My IBS was so bad. My eczema was so bad. My adrenals were completely in the toilet. Um, So yeah, going to carnivore, the IBS went away immediately. The eczema went away immediately. Um, I didn't quite get the hormones to start working again until I switched to a super high fat version of the carnivore diet. Mm. Um, But since I've been doing that, I'm ovulating again. Um, my husband wants to have another baby. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. That's awesome. I think it's, it's cool to, to see people, you know, basically have like the most extreme version of an elimination diet via carnivore, see such drastic improvement. And then like, see, see the life and the possibilities and opportunities they have through a different lens because of what opens up. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And, and how much I've learned about hormones. I mean, I enjoyed our conversation so much. It's just like, I love learning about this stuff and how the human body works and, you know, really how the female body works, because I think that we're, we're not really taught about our cycle. We're not really taught about what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong. Like it's almost, you know, we just don't talk about it in society. And so something I've been bringing out is like women, you know, you need to make sure that you're ovulating and that you're having a cycle every month and celebrate these things. And if Mm -hmm. it's, you're having a lot of problems with your cycle, a lot of pain, a lot of issues, then there's something that you need to work out that there's, that needs to be tweaked. And for me, it was, you know, continuing to eliminate the plants and really upping those fats. I mean, I eat a ton of beef suet, um, and fat trimmings and I just thrive on that stuff. Um, and that's really eliminated a lot of the issues I was having with PCOS and, and estrogen dominance. It's pretty remarkable. Were you, so when you started doing carnivore initially, you were probably just doing like a, like you probably weren't having the suets. I feel like most people just, when they go carnivore, they just do leaner cuts of meat and whatever they pick up yeah. at the grocery store, which kind of defaults to a leaner version of carnivore. What, yeah, I was doing like ground beef and eggs and yeah. I wasn't really paying attention to fat at all. What's kind of got you experimenting with the higher fats, just trial and error, or, or what kind of led you down that path? Well, I got a bunch of lab work in January, and my hormone kind of still in the toilet. I wasn't feeling good, and I had just worn a continuous glucose monitor that was showing my blood sugar was spiking up into you know, 30, 40 points in my sleep. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely going through some gluconeogenesis. I was losing muscle on my arms. Um, and I actually interviewed Stephanie keto person, um, on my YouTube channel. And she was saying a lot of stuff that a lot of people in the carnivore community weren't seeing. Cause she's from a keto side and she and I became friends and she's like, let me help you do a therapeutic high fat carnivore diet. And let's see if this doesn't help you with the issues you're having with gluconeogenesis, with your hormones, you know, with your cycle, not being on time. And I was like, what have I got to lose? Because I wanted to stay carnivore because it helped me um, mentally. Mm-hmm. I didn't even tell you this, but I, I was prescribed my first antidepressant at age 14. Wow. Um, and I've been off of 
all medications. I was on like five different medications for depression, anxiety, and insomnia. I've been off everything for a solid two years now, which is an absolute miracle. That's awesome. Um, so I did not want to quit the carnivore diet because of those reasons. You know, it's like I don't ever want to go back on medication again. Mm-hmm. I just don't. Um, and I really attribute carnivore diet to helping me with those things. So she helped me just do this therapeutic high fat carnivore diet and get those fat trimmings and beef suet, all that stearic acid in, in my diet. And within two weeks, my cycle came back. Um, and I've ovulated every single month since I started doing that protocol. It's pretty amazing how quickly it worked. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge advocate for people often paint me as the high fat guy and I don't ever want to be like painted into a, a corner, but I feel like if you have a, you know, if you're if you're keto adapted, if you're fat adapted, and you're not, you know, you, you can definitely benefit from having that increase in dietary fat. Like there's so many benefits that come with that from a metabolic, from a hormonal standpoint, from an energy standpoint. I don't know why you would not want to have that dietary fat. I mean, that's where a lot of the flavor comes from, you know. But there's just so many benefits that I feel like those, for whatever reason, have been kind of like pushed on the wayside because people are just overly focused. Like the the pendulum swings so far. On each in the spectrum, I and mean, for a while there, keto was was categorized as you know being afraid of protein. Protein's bad. You can have gluconeogenesis, and that's just terrible. And people got scared of protein. And now it's like the pendulum has swung on the other end, and people are just so pro protein that like there there is a point of diminishing returns with excessive protein in the expense of not having enough dietary fat. And I feel like people need to kind of understand and have enough self awareness as to how they feel that they can kind of get those numbers and ratios dialed in. But that often takes place when you increase the dietary fat. Yeah, I feel like that the, the, I just did a video and I, I was kind of going off on a little rant about this. I'm like, have people forgotten what the keto diet is? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's supposed to be a high fat diet and there's so much fear of fat. And especially me growing up in the nineties during like snack. Well, I'm older than you. So we had like all the fat free treats and snacks when I was a kid growing up. And that's kind of what I lived on, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was like fat free chips and fat free cookies and fat free crackers and everything. Oof, I hated it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what I grew up on. And, and so, so we've been so brainwashed to think that fat is bad. And I see people come to uh, keto and carnivore and still have that fear of fat. And then like me, I still continue to suffer hormonally because trying to do a high protein version of the carnivore diet and skimp out on the fat still i still didn't have regular cycles when i did have them they were long and they were painful and so while i did have the benefits with ibs and eczema and the depression and anxiety my hormones still were not behaving until i just said you know what i'm going to do this super high fat version of the diet and if i gain some weight oh, well, you know, I can get mm-hmm. my hormones operating correctly so that if your hormones are operating correctly, your weight will normalize as a result of healthy hormones. Yeah, there's there's so many. It's it's funny because right now, like, there's all these debates. Like, is it calories? Is it hormones? Like, what is the driving factor? You've got, you know, uh, Saladino now saying it's linoleic acid that's causing obesity. Like, there's all these confounding variables as to what the root cause is. But it's like, why can it not just be a combination? Like, rather than trying to single out and just zero in on one, let's just focus on being healthy overall. And, you know, if you get that dialed in, you're probably going to get better. 
Exactly. I feel like a lot of that is kind of white science and like, oh, it's this, it's that. Like, let's demonize this and let's demonize that. And people forget the energy balance ratio and the, the simple fact that if you consume more energy than your body is burning off, then you're going to gain weight. And that's why I had an interest to bring you onto my channel because I wanted to talk about that and how some people can downregulate their metabolism from calorie restricting for years and years and from fasting for years and years, you know, and that it is possible to upregulate your, meta your metabolism and recover those things. But I feel like in the keto and carnivore space, we have lost touch with the energy balance ratio. And we're trying to point the finger at this, that, and the other, and say, this is the reason for, you know, people getting fat and gaining weight. And it's like, we still have to take the energy balance ratio into account. 100%. I think it all kind of goes back to the whole pendulum over swinging overcorrected thing. Because I mean, you've got a lot of people in the, you know, if it fits your macros, bro, bodybuilding, bro science genre, which I mean, like, like we'll just throw some names out there like lane norton is pretty demonized by a lot of people in the keto space and a lot of the keto he calls them zealots just constantly yeah. you know hate on him and he gets frustrated yeah. with the keto community as a result of all that hate and he does say some very outlandish things and i am not necessarily a fan of him by any means because he's just overly rude he's unnecessarily negative yeah. but that doesn't mean that everything he says is total hogwash i mean his take on energy balance i mean there's definitely some truth to that i'm not gonna say yeah. everything he says is valid but there's definitely some truth to that and that principle is very applicable regardless of what diet you're on and i do think the ketogenic diet a well formulated ketogenic diet with proper ratios of dietary fat and protein are going to help from a hormonal standpoint they're going to help in a lot of regards there but all within the context of making sure you're taking in the adequate and the appropriate amount of fuel like if you're under eating there's gonna be negative effects if you're overeating there's gonna be negative effects like why do people have to single out and say it's all this or it's all that like look at it through a uh, a symbiotic nature like everything has an impact on everything i totally agree and it's funny for me i had to step out just a little bit like i've been on youtube kind of binge watching some different people that are not keto and carnivore to kind of wrap my head around this energy balance ratio because i'm like I have to I have to step outside of this box a little bit mm -hmm. because and I have listened to actually some of I know a lot of people call him bio lame. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, he does say some good stuff in his videos about the energy balance ratio. And he hasn't he has said some good stuff about keto as well and had some good stuff on there. And I've listened to a lot of Greg Doucette, who's completely insane, but <laughs> it's like good comic relief for me and yeah. it's sometimes it's nice to to step out of the keto and carnivore box a little bit and get a different perspective so you're not just trapped in this one way of thinking yeah totally agree i mean you don't ever want to be in a bubble and it, it's funny because it's so easy to be in a bubble like you you surround yourself i mean it's human nature you want to surround yourself with people that reaffirm your beliefs and you know negate confounding beliefs so that you just feel more empowered like that is just human nature it takes a very big person to step outside of their their circle their sphere of just affirmation and be open to other suggestions other other thought processes other other scientific research other things but when you do that and you have that open mind and then you can apply it in self-experiment and see what actually works best for you and potentially others then you just have you have a much much better foundation to work with like for me 
you know, I, I didn't start out keto. I was in the bro, I was deep into the bro dieting. If it fits your macros philosophy, that's what I did. That's what I knew. I, I was following Lane as a as a guide, you know, way back in the day before keto was ever popularized because he was in the natural bodybuilding space and he was putting out a bunch of content around that that niche. And, you know, I took a lot of the stuff he said to heart and I put it into practice and a lot of it worked. But it wasn't sustainable for me from like a, you know, metabolic standpoint, from a hormonal standpoint, from an, from a, just an enjoyable standpoint. I didn't like eating every two or three hours. I didn't like all the stuff that came with bodybuilding as it was considered in that day and age. Now, knowing what I know about ketogenic bodybuilding, what, what I've kind of like paved the way, I guess, because I didn't have any other ketogenic bodybuilders to look up to. I know that works for me. I know it works really, really well for me. I've been able to emulate it in other people besides me, other clients, other people, and it works really well for them. I feel very confident in that, but it's taking what I've learned from a totally, you know, at first glance, unrelated sphere and putting it into practice. And I feel like that's very, very powerful. I agree. It's so important that we don't live our lives in this echo chamber and that's what I try to do. You know, I try, I look at my feed. I'm like, am I only following carnivore and keto people? Am I only listening to what carnivore and keto people have to say? Because there's just this danger of being in that echo chamber and not being able to be objective about anything at all, you mm -hmm. know? And I relate so much. I love the story of how you've been doing keto and you haven't done any refeeds and you've been building muscle and still doing all these shows because for somebody like me, you know, I have lost a hundred pounds before the last time was 12 years ago after my daughter was born. I lost a hundred pounds eating tons of carbs and doing no fasting, no keto. Um, but you know, for me, what has been the most sustainable way of eating is to take the carbohydrate out and eat a lot of fat, you know, and there's so many people out there that are like, you know, you can, it's not sustainable. You can't continue to do carnivore and keto and take out the carbs. But for me, my hormonal health has never been better. My mental health has never been better. And so it's like, there are people that say that you can do this long-term and people like you that are putting your stories out there and that you're, you're encouraging the lifestyle. And I appreciate that so much. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that it's, it's, it's funny because <laughs> there's like all these little bubbles and trends that pop up with whatever different niche you're in. And right now the, the, the hot thing to do in the keto community is to, you know, have these carb ups and see how your body does that because, Oh, you got to have carbs to really reach your full potential. And it's funny because we've, we've strayed so far from what made keto great in the first place in a sense. And for me, it's like, look, I don't care if you eat carbs. I don't care if you're carnivore. I don't care if you're keto. I don't care, but I want to be the person that illustrates what is possible on a natural physique without any, you know, drugs or performance enhancing substances. And I want to do so with a strict ketogenic approach because a lot of people like if 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 they have like a psychological, you know, just disability to eating carbs, like if they bring carbs back in, it's like an addiction. There's a lot of people out there. There's I mean, mm -hmm. I would argue that most of the keto spaces probably suffer from some type of carbohydrate addiction. And if you tell them, hey look, you're never going to reach your full potential without carbs. That's like, that's just demoralizing. Like, I would never want to be told that. Like, why? I would have, that's like telling an alcoholic that they're never going to be the best they can be unless they're able to handle drinking some alcohol, which is just, it's like playing with fire, you know? Right. I don't want that. I want to be able to prove to people that you can be better than ever and not sacrifice any performance by following a strict ketogenic approach and be better for it long term and make it sustainable. And for that reason, I've never 
felt the need to veer away and, and chase the carbohydrates. I love that, you know, and, and Stephanie keto person is the other one. She's been keto for 13 years with no carb ups and no refeeds. And she's 53 and looks <laughs> to me, looks 35. Mm -hmm. And, uh, as somebody who is a recovering alcoholic, I am in recovery from alcohol and I feel like I'm the same way with carbohydrates. You know, I've had a ton of conversations with Rob Saibas, the carb addiction doc. He's been on my channel three or four times now. And yeah, for me to think about needing carbs to be healthy it's like it's it's a slippery slope for me mm -hmm. you know i feel the same way about carbohydrate as i do with alcohol i know that if i was to pick up a drink today it would be like attaching myself to the back of a runaway train i know yeah. this undoubtedly that you know i may start drinking today if i do that i don't know when i'm going to be able to stop and if i'm going to be able to stop and what kind of damage i'm going to do to my life because i've been down that road before you know i know for me there's no safe amount of alcohol to put in my body it's just not something i ever want to mess with or do and through being carnivore these last couple of years i've realized i'm the same exact way with carbohydrates and so, like you said, yeah, I don't want to be told that I'm not going to be able to have optimal health unless I do carb ups and add carbs in. And that's not been what I've experienced. You know, my health has been so much better without the carbs, just as long as I keep that fat nice and high. 100%. And it's funny because a lot of people, they, they try and put this like weird stigma on it. And they're like, you know, you should be able to moderate. Like it's a weakness in you okay. if you are not able to moderate. And for me, it's like it's, it's tricky with food, too, because like with alcohol, I mean, we all, I think, inherently know that alcohol is not really contributing to the betterment of our physique and well-being. Like it's it's a nice thing to be able to moderate for like a social lubricant or whatever, but there's not really inherent benefit. Whereas with food, it's like you got to have food. You got to eat to live. Um, you don't have to drink alcohol to live. But with food, it's like there's all these weird subsets, like different diets, different protocols. You, you know, you have to eat in order to perform and make it to day to day but i don't like this the stigma people place on you of having to have something and being able to moderate or you're viewed as being a weaker person which in my opinion like especially with regard to being strict keto like if i know with 100 percent certainty that my performance is only improved my ability to to be the best person i can be is only improved from a physical standpoint from a cognition standpoint by staying strict keto then who are you to say that i'm weaker for not being able to have carbs. And I would argue that I am just the opposite. I would argue that it is more respectful, more impressive, and just more badass to be strict keto indefinitely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I really couldn't agree more. And I just think that for some people, you know, people that I've talked to, um, Mary Roberts, it's her birthday today. She's one of my really good friends. You know, she talks about being in, in Jessica also, Jessica Reynolds. They both talk about have, being in, in recovery from food and, and eating disorders and being told by nutritionists and doctors like, oh, you need to be able to just have one cupcake a week or one, you know, and they're like, <laughs> that's, that sounds horrible. Mm -hmm. You know, that just sounds terrible. And, and I remember working with a nutritionist right before I started carnivore, because I was having a really big problem with binging. Like mm -hmm. I would do really well. And then I would just binge. And I was like, Oh my God, this is messed up. I need a nutritionist. And her solution was for me to have one small cookie every single day as part of my nutritional plan. And I was, I could just never do it. Mm -hmm. I was like, <laughs> I can't just have one small cookie at the end of the day. I need like 12 yeah. cookies at the end. <laughs> like, it's just not going to work for me. Um, 
And it was at that point that I was like, screw this. I'm just going to try carnivore. And I'm so much happier without, you know, the one small cookie a day or like the dessert at the end of the week or the cheat day. Like I'm so much happier that way. Yeah. And that, that's honestly like why I've got an issue with the, you know, traditional bodybuilding community that's that that uses a bunch of carbs and you know like the if it fits your macros group that they always you know use pop tarts like they're kind of painted as the pop tart group which is not necessarily accurate but stuff like that you know like food like carbohydrates that are not viewed as good wholesome foods and like it just it just there's a, a massive disconnect there like why would i want to eat foods that i know are just n- much less nutritionally dense than what i'm eating on a well-formulated ketogenic or carnivore diet and try and justify that. Like, why does it even make sense that I should have that in my diet if I can, instead of having a cupcake or a cookie, I mean, I can have two ounces of beef liver, which is a hell of a lot more bang for my buck than a cookie. You know, it's like this weird, like, relationship people have with food. And I struggled with eating disorders, you know, for years. And, like, it's liberating now to know that every single calorie that I put into my body, every single calorie that I put into my body is offering me much more benefit than it takes. And that is what makes it so easy and sustainable to stay strict keto because I don't have to struggle with this, oh, crap, I need to have this to be able to fit in at a party. It's like, no, no, I'm doing the absolute best thing I possibly can for my body for now and for the long haul. What do you got? Exactly, exactly. And you kind of learn to adjust your life. you know, it's, it's like this emotional sobriety too. Like I, when I go to birthday parties or family gatherings, I'm going there to be with my family. I'm going there to celebrate the person whose birthday it is. I'm not going for the food. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't care about the food. I'm coming to spend time with people that I love and that I care about. And I think we lose touch with that so much in our society and so much socially. It's like, we go to the party and, you know, we go for the drinks and go for the food. No, you're going to be around people that you love and care about it. The food and the drinks are just there, you know? Yeah. We're speaking the same language. It's like kind of weird. Um, I say the same <laughs> thing all the time. Cause like metabolic flexibility as a, as a concept is really hot right now. And people often point to, you know, it's, it's, it's important to be able to eat these foods when they present themselves with people to be able to really make the most of that human interaction and like they say these things, like like they say these so things and expect cute. me to understand where they're coming from. And for me, it's like, do you realize that you're put, putting more importance on the food with the food on your plate than you are with the relationship and the person in the room with you? I mean, like if you have to have waffles with your kids in order to have a relationship with your kids and you're probably doing something wrong. Exactly. And I don't know about you, but, you know, anytime I would because of my history with eating disorders, anytime I would go to a party and I would start eating the food, it's like I would totally lose touch with and and disconnect from the people I was there to see because I'm like so like my brain goes to food. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I want some more of that. I got to try that. I got to try food get all this and then I get into that all or nothing mentality like oh, I'm going to start a diet tomorrow after this because I'm eating so much crap at this party and then it's like why am I even here I'm not even enjoying the people I'm I'm obsessing over this food you know mm-hmm. yeah it's a totally totally agree I mean there was there was a time in college when I was really deep into this eating disorders and I came home to visit my folks and my dad had just fallen off a horse and horse rolled over on top of me broke his uh pelvis and was in the hospital and you know all this was going down and we had like had a big meal or something I'm not sure how it all played out I don't remember but I was thinking about the food 
and not the safety and well-being of my dad. And that's like, I hate even admitting that because it's so messed up. And I like recognized it and I had to stop myself in the in the moment. And I'm like, this is just not healthy. This is this is totally skewed. I'm placing a significance on things that don't even matter. And that that is common. Like that is incredibly common. People go that route. Like when they open up a new bag of cookies, when they go and they eat food that they know they shouldn't be, like that's where their mind goes, that's where their fi- fixation goes. I mean, there are definitely people that can moderate and that's not even a second thought. But for the people that can't or for the people that have dealt with and are dealing with these eating disorders, it's like it just doesn't work that way. And when you realize that having the ability to moderate does in no shape, form, or fashion warrant the the benefit that you get from just knowing that you're doing what's right and healthy and you're putting the importance and significance on what matters. Like, I don't care about the food at social gatherings now. I care about the people. And that should be everybody's mentality. I totally agree. And I think this whole idea of like, you know, being able to eat carbs or eat junk for, I think metabolic flexibility is, is just kind of like, uh, it's just crap. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you don't need it as somebody who has been sober from alcohol. If somebody told me that I needed to have like flexibility and I needed to be able to drink, I'd just be like, you know what? Sorry. That's definitely not happening. It's just not. Cause I don't, for me to take that drink is like to ruin my life. And at this point with food, it's like, I just don't want to, I don't want to put my body through pain mm-hmm. because that's what happens when I eat those foods is I'm in absolute pain. And then I'm of, I'm of no use to my family. You know, I can't be a good mom. I can't be a good wife and I'm in a bad mood. And it's like, so that's supposed to help me enhance my social experience for me to feel crappy and like be in a bad mood. Tell me how that makes sense. I feel like if you and I keep talking for much longer, we're going to start pissing people off. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) (laughs) No, we're speaking the same language for sure. I mean, I completely agree. And I don't know, like I'm not here to say that my way is right and other people's ways are wrong. But it is refreshing for me to hear you say these same things that I've been saying because it lets me know that I'm not at least the only crazy person out in the universe. But I feel I feel right about it. Like I feel like this just makes sense. And when I peel the the layers back and I look at what it is at its core, it's like just be healthy, focus yeah. on the people in your life, be better tomorrow than you were today, be better today than you were yesterday, and focus on what matters like you seeing your daughter smile as she plays in the waterfall like that's what matters and you don't have to think about the cookies that you avoided in order to enjoy that moment right right it's like as soon as I start thinking about that stuff it takes me out of the moment it takes me away from that enjoyment and you know we're not we're not put on this earth to just eat and like be in this constant state of like spiking our dopamine, you know, getting sugar and getting cookies. Like we're here to enjoy life, you know, and, and life to me doesn't have anything to do with indulging on cookies and sweets. It's like, I want to be with people. I want to experience life and experience happiness. hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, Sarah, I could literally sit here and talk with you all day long and I probably <laughs> shouldn't <laughs> because I know you got a lot of things to get to do, but, uh, where can people go to find out more about you? What, what is the YouTube channel for both you and your daughter? Cause I definitely want to check out hers as well. Yeah, I'll send it to you. I'll send you a link, but mine is a uh, carnivore Yogi on YouTube. And then my daughter's is Alexis's voice. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'll link out to those in the show notes. And, um, I just really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. This, this, uh, was a very, very enjoyable conversation, and I, 
I appreciate you, what you're doing, the message you're spreading. So keep doing what you're doing. I will. Thank you. And it was awesome to talk with you. It's like, I, yeah, I could absolutely keep talking for at least a couple more hours. So <laughs> well, thank we'll, you we'll so much. For, we'll do a round two. We'll do a round two. Awesome. Awesome. I look forward to it. Take care, Sarah. Have a good one. You too.